Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. My name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer with, with Chagask. Uh, this webinar is brought to you in association with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland Skillnet, and the National Rural Network. Uh, this morning, we're delighted to be joined by Mick Houlihan from uh, Borbea. Mick, you're, you're very welcome. You're standing in for, we, we're due to have uh, Deirdre Ryan, but Deirdre is indisposed, so you draw the short straw this morning. Or, or, or maybe you drew the short straw, Pat. We'll, we'll, see, it, we'll see as we go. <laughs> very good. Uh, Mick, you're, you're a senior manager on ag sustainability with with Borbia. Uh, you've been we've been working, I suppose, with you over a number of years in on the sustainability journey, and uh, and Borbia are I suppose heavily involved in I suppose three aspects. Would it be fair to say improving sustainability, showing that we've improved sustainability, and getting the message to the market that Irish food is is sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that's that's uh, you know uh, as Borbia, our role is the 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 market and promotion of Irish food and drink nationally and internationally. But ultimately, anything that we do in terms of those promotions has to be based on solid, rel- reliable facts, uh, and those facts are generated through the Origin Green program, which includes all the farm schemes as well as the the, the participation of the. The food processors um, in in developing sustainability plans, and it's, it's all that information that allows us, you know, you know be very confident um, in terms of stepping out in the marketplace and making very robust and solid claims in relation to the credentials of Irish food and drink from a quality and safety and traceability perspective, but also um, more importantly, in recent times from a sustainability perspective. Okay, and we're also joined by Andy. Andy will be helping out later with the the, the questions. But Andy, you've uh, many years of experience in this in the, in this area as well, going back to to working on uh, uh, dairy sustainability projects. Yeah, I suppose when we began looking at sustainability, uh, I remember back in the early two thousand and eight, nine, ten, eleven, and it was a bit of a, a strange subject to be going out measuring water on farms or measuring electricity or doing a carbon footprint, but it's kind of become common language now. Very good. Yeah. Okay, great. So thanks very much, Pat and 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 Andy and, and look, it's it's great to get the the opportunity to to chat with everyone this morning, albeit I'm 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 been subbed in, um, but hopefully you'll, you'll you'll forgive me for that. So, um, as Pat mentioned, I'm Senior Manager for Agricultural Sustainability in Borbia. I've been working with Borbia for the best part of 10 years now and and initially would have been um, heavily involved in the the rollout of the Sustainable Dairy Assurance Scheme and uh, heavily involved in the Sustainable Beef and Lamb Assurance Scheme. Uh, And I suppose over the 10 years, you know, you very much see how the role of sustainability and the importance of sustainability is increasing and increasing all the time. Uh, and obviously we're trying to reflect that in terms of how we operate schemes at farm level and at a processor level as well. Um, and ultimately the Origin Green program, I suppose, is, is the overarching framework that we have in place. Um, and it is the, the world's only national sustainability program for um, the food and drink industry. Um, we celebrated 10 years of Origin Green last year, um, uh, and it is still the only national sustainability programme uh, in the world uh, at the moment. So look, lots of 
other countries, lots of other organizations, you know, are, are doing work in the sustainability space, developing initiatives and developing programs. But I suppose none of them uh, are matching the, the scale uh, in relation to Origin Green and the fact that we have such commitments right across the, the, the board um, from farms all the way up. Uh, through the processors and into uh, uh, food service and re- uh, retailers now as well um, that have committed to sustainability uh, in in the way that the Irish sector has again it's it's something that's that's not matched um, anywhere else uh, around the world as it stands at the moment. So um, I suppose the the next couple of slides uh, or the next twenty minutes or so I'm going to try and and talk a little bit about I suppose Origin Green and, and why it needs to evolve. So as I said, it's ten years old. But it hasn't been the same for 10 years, you know, as with any scheme or initiative or program or anything that we do in in in, in terms of our, our, our work. Um, you know, we need to adapt, we need to change, we need to try and find ways to improve and, and, and stay ahead. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll go through a few slides in terms of what's driving, I suppose, that need to, to change and adapt and evolve as well. Uh, and then, then I'll take you through some um, updates in terms of what's happening with the programme and changes that we are making uh, this year or some that have, have already come into effect, but more that will be, will be working into, into the process um, as, the, as the year progresses on from here. So um, I suppose why, why, are, why do we need to evolve? Why do we need to change? Um, there's a whole host of different reasons. Um, Increasingly, we see that you know the, the the big investors in the world are looking at their portfolios and you know trying to ensure that you know that, that their investments are solid from a sustainability perspective, and they're taking money out of companies and out of industries that are considered you know uh, um, poor from an environmental uh, perspective. Uh, taking money away from uh, companies that have poor performance and poor records and poor reporting in relation to uh, environment and sustainability and moving that money towards uh, um, uh, companies uh, and investments that, you know, they are confident uh, in in terms of their sustainability credentials. So, and that is, that is a, you know, it's, you know, we might kind of consider, you know, what billionaire investors are doing as, as not of, of very much relevance, but actually, you know, when they're moving money about in, in large volumes, um, you know, if they're not moving them into companies that are relevant for us, well, then those companies struggle and that has a knock-on effect in terms of their ability to, to, to trade and, and, and purchase and buy Irish projects down the line. Um, from a policy perspective, everyone will be um, aware of, of Food Vision 2030 and the ambition that's included in there in, in terms of the, the growth of value and volume of exports uh, from, from Ireland as well. Um, but we have a challenge in there in that, you know, we have to we have to try and, and balance that ambition with the, the targets that are set out in, in relation to the Climate Action Plan. Uh, and again, everyone will be aware of the, the target of a 25% reduction in greenhouse gas uh, emissions for the agri-sector by, by 2030. So policy challenges is something that's that's very real as well. Um, from a consumer perspective, uh, you know, we, we do see from our own research and from other research around the world, we do see that um, customers uh, our consumers be- believe that you know there's a responsibility uh, on the industry and on the, the the brands I suppose that they know and that they trust um, to support them and making making uh, sustainable choices as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in in, in a while as well. Uh, but also then from a, a regulatory perspective. Um, there's lots starting to happen in this space and that's happening already and, and more kind of coming at us. And, 
you know, there's there's requirements on companies um, at the at the moment to um, have a non-financial reporting um, uh, in place, and that very much links into sustainability and, and uh, uh, governance ar- around all of that. But that non-financial reporting directive is is being replaced by the the uh, corporate uh, sustainability reporting directive. Which um, will go an awful lot further than the, the than the previous directive, and it will bring an awful lot more companies into the fold in terms of putting requirements on them um, to have robust reporting processes um, that are going to be uh, legally required legally required of them. So I suppose that's just kind kind of at a high level. I suppose just the, the where the the various different forces are coming from, whether it's it's uh, customers, whether it's legislation, whether it's policy pieces. But it's just to go a little bit deeper in, in terms of, of of some of this. And again, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to be putting up uh, anything here that you haven't heard before, that you're not familiar of. But, you know, from from uh, uh, from the uh, European perspective, you know, we do, uh, we know, I suppose, in, in terms of the outcome of the, the Paris Agreement in 2015, um, that there is uh, binding emission reduction uh, uh, is required for uh, European member states um, all the way to, to 2030, um, and this is this is uh, in place as was as a result of the uh, as a result of the Paris Agreement, and you know we're as a as a responsible member of the European Union, you know we have to ensure that we're we're doing our bit to to meet these requirements, um, um, uh, and that we're we're achieving these these reductions uh, year on year as well. And I suppose then hence I suppose how that kind of uh, works its way down into into things like the the, the climate action action plan as well. Um, but other things at the EU level in terms of the farm to fork and biodiversity strategies, you know, they're going to have an influence as well, and they're going to bring um, a whole host of, of of new requirements as well. Um, so, you know, moving away from just looking at greenhouse gases and, and emissions as well, you know, um, uh, uh, requirements and, and regulations around biodiversity and nature restoration and all of that. These are all things that are very much kind of uh, coming at us, and 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 things that you know need to be kind of factored in uh, in terms of how we approach uh, um, the development of Origin Green uh, um, as well. You know, if there's going to be relevance for these things from a regulatory perspective, um, well, then you know we have to ensure that you know the schemes that we have, whether they're at farm level or or, or at company level, uh, we have to ensure that at the very least. You know, we're ensuring that there's legal compliance um, uh, in place for, for for members as well. So, again, as I said, you know, it's it's how all this kind of filters its way down from from you know a global piece in terms of the Paris Agreement to the European piece um, and down to I suppose what we have ourselves now in terms of the the climate action plan and the implementation of that as well. So, um, again, it's it's. Uh, not something that will be be new to any of any of the the, the viewers this morning as well. Um, we are very uh, much aware of of the targets that we have. Um, you know, we have a fifty one percent reduction to be achieved by twenty fifty, and 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 you know, in the meantime, it's a twenty five percent reduction by 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 twenty thirty. Um, and you know, we all know that that the challenge that's involved in that. We all know that the 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 uh, I suppose the the ask that's coming on the agricultural sector in in particular in terms of um, adoption of 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 new and proven technologies to tackle greenhouse gas emissions and and trying to scale that between now and twenty thirty um, to give us a chance of of hitting that target that's been been set for for the sector here as well. 
So just to move on a little bit and, and kind of come back to talking about the, the, the consumers a little bit. And, you know, obviously we would conduct a, a lot of customer and consumer research a, a, around the world as well. So try and understand this was what the, the consumers are thinking so that we can uh, uh, position the promotions and the marketing that we do uh, um, so that it's it's uh, enticing to them and it resonates with them and, and it makes uh, purchasing Irish food and drinks something that's uh, more more appealing to them. Um, and so our own research says that, you know, three quarters of, of uh, uh, consumers um, are making uh, an effort to buy more sustainably produced food as well. Um, and I suppose I think to, to kind of say about that is that, you know, people's definition of, of sustainably produced food will, will differ um, uh, based on where they are in the world and, and, and I suppose what's, what's influencing them in the geography that they're in or in, in the market that they're in. So sustainability can be a fairly broad topic, um, and and uh, it, it, as well as being able to try to speak to sustainability in its broadest terms and the different indicators that are relevant for different consumers in different markets. But the fact that we have so many three quarters of them that are are making that effort to 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 uh, buy sustainably produced food, um, I suppose it really kind of uh, indicates the significance of of being able to. Um, have really strong proof points to be able to to talk about the the positive aspects of of, of Irish food um, uh, internationally as well. Um, if we look at uh, things from a, a customer perspective, and when when we talk about customers in Borby, we're more talking as was about the companies as opposed to the individual. Um, and the the research that we do with uh, companies and, and in the last round of research, we particularly targeted buyers um, uh, within the in the companies that we, we spoke to um, because I suppose they're the ones that are actually making the purchasing decisions. They're the ones that the relationships between the, the Irish processors, um, the, those commercial relationships, that's where they are. They're at that level. It's with the buyers. It's not with the sustainability people in these companies. It's with the people that, are, that have the money and are spending the money. Um, so we were keen to get the view from from the buyers, and as you can see here, seventy two percent of those buyers are saying that it's really important that they have suppliers with strong uh, sustainability credentials. Um, and you know, as was aligned with that, we see that we sixty four percent are saying that sustainability is an important aspect of the road. And, and the reason that we're seeing that now is that. An awful lot of these uh, buyers who are commercial people, their performance and their KPIs uh, now include targets around sustainability. So, you know, heretofore where it may have been that, you know, their their their, their performance was, was re reviewed based on the value they were getting in terms of the purchases they were making or the, 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 the volumes that they were able to purchase at a particular price or whatever it might be. Increasingly, you know, they have targets that they need to set for um, as part of their performance review uh, around sustainable sourcing. Um, so look, that's a, a, an interesting development and certainly one that we're, we're seeing um, a more and more of a trend towards in terms of the, the increasing link between sustainability and, and commercial um, aspects of, of of, of a business and I suppose the reason that we're seeing that is that we have all these companies out here and we've just taken a, a few of the more recognizable names I suppose that we we would engage with um, and just kind of pulled you know a couple of very top line uh, um, uh, pieces out of their um, sustainability uh, plans and strategies 
So every, they're all looking at this. They're all setting their own targets um, that they need to deliver on, and they they have to try and 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 um, uh, commit to and ensure that they they hit these targets um, by the deadlines that they've set for themselves. But the challenge that they, that these companies have is that you know a lot of the the targets, um, particularly in relation to emissions, they have limited control over, uh, and it's down to their suppliers and the role that their suppliers can play in helping them to hit the target. So, well, I suppose you know these are the commitments that they are making. Ultimately, these commitments translate into requirements for 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 suppliers, um, and. I suppose that's how it kind of trickles back down the line then as well in terms of the the, the requests and uh, that come in relation to you know progress um, at company level, progress at farm level in areas such as greenhouse gas emissions or biodiversity or water quality or, or, or whatever it is. So it's all to try and ensure that they know where they they can source the most sustainable pro- produce. And again, it's about us being able to position ourselves to be to, to provide that option for them. Um, I suppose just just on the other side of it, you know, we we do know as well from engaging with these customers is that they like what they see here in Ireland. Um, they like that the the framework that uh, we have here, True Origin Green, the fact that it works across the full supply chain. That we have all stakeholders um, that are 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 members and supporters uh, and working collaboratively on it. Um, as far as far as they're concerned, Origin Green meets their expectations, um, and it's a it's a key infrastructure for them, um, you know, to rely on in terms of of helping them meet the commitments that that they have as well. Um, in terms of the, the 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 processors, you know, when we survey the the companies, the Irish companies that we 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 uh, work with. Um, about seventy percent of them have have you know said to us that they feel that Origin Green is helping them to win business um, in markets internationally. So look, that's a a positive endorsement, I suppose, for 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 the the program um, and their commitments uh, and everyone else's commitments uh, to to the program as well. Um, just a, a very quick slide here as well in terms of some of the work that we do at international level. Uh, one of the organisations we, we participate in is the Sustainable Agricultural Initiative Platform or, or, or site platform. Uh, and within that, you have an awful lot of these global uh, food companies uh, that are participating and working in a, a, pre, uh, a pre-competitive way to try and align around things like sustainability. Um, and they're developing sustainability frameworks or assessment frameworks that they're then rolling out to their suppliers. So I suppose in our engagement there, what we try and do and ensure is that whatever gets developed at that global level um, is aligned with what we're doing in relation to Origin Green, both at company level and at farm level, so that it eliminates the risk of uh, duplication. It eliminates the risk of these uh, food companies coming to their suppliers and saying, well, you know, we know you have Origin Green, but now you need to do this as well. You know, we're in a place now where they know we have Origin Green. They know it it um, it it stacks up very well against what they're looking for in terms of the the assessment frameworks that they're developing um, and advise those additional asks coming back on top of the the Irish suppliers, be it um, again at company level or or, or farm level. So I suppose just to just to move on and just talk a little bit more about Origin Green and our strategy and where we're going and some of the things that we're doing. You know, we, we have a, a very clear vision in terms of what we want. Uh, we want a, a thriving agri-food sector that is uh, responsive to the future needs of of of, of people on our planet. Um, 
but I suppose what we kind of focus on more is is our purpose, uh, and like it's it's been mentioned already, mentioned at the start uh, at the start with Pat in terms of what what we're here to do. We're here to to power improve the sustainability of the the the, the industry here as well. Um, and I suppose if we look at I suppose the areas that we're we're kind of focusing on, if we kind of look put them into two two kind of pillars, we're looking at a uh, uh, climate uh, neutral and nature positive pathway. And then proving responsible choices, uh, and I suppose within these two two broad areas, there's there's particular areas of focus that we're looking on, and and it's under these areas of focus, I suppose, is where we get down into the the finer detail in terms of the individual projects and initiatives that we're developing, in terms of the individual updates that we might be making to the farm programs or to um or to the the, the company programs as well. Um, but I suppose this is this is what what guides us. We we take all those learnings that we uh, get in the marketplace through the research, um, and we look at uh, I suppose what's coming from a, a regulatory perspective, from a policy perspective, and things like that as well. And we try and and and, and develop a strategy um, to to ensure that we're 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 going to fulfil the needs um, and meet the demands as well that are, that are that are coming at us at us down down the line as well. Um, and again, you know, very much linked into uh, the the broader piece in terms of food vision um, as well, and falling under you know mission one of, of food vision, which uh, talks about a, a climate smart, environmentally sustainable agri food sector. Uh, and I suppose the, the 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 importance of origin green is called out here and and is identified by the fact that it's it's referenced over seventy times um, in the the food vision document. So. I suppose for, for, from our perspective, you know, there's a lot of responsibility being been placed on Origin Green in terms of of, of delivering on the, the 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 government strategy or the part of agriculture strategy and policy piece. Um and again the 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 ambition, I suppose, within there that I mentioned earlier on in terms of, of growing um value and volume volume of, of of exports as well. So I suppose just to, to get in to talk about some of the the updates that are coming, um, and you know, as I said, we we're, we're we're constantly kind of updating Origin Green. We've done a lot of uh, changes in the last couple of years at company level, where we're putting more requirements on companies in in relation to targets that they they're they're required to set the number of targets that they have to set. Um, uh, and I suppose looking at the approach of 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 how we can ask the companies that have capacity and and scale to do more to do more. Uh, and balancing that then with maybe some smaller operations who who would be challenged in terms of of resources uh, um, uh, and and uh, uh, be that personnel or financial to try and, and and implement things to the same to the same level as as some of the the much larger manufacturers that we have here as well. Um, but to to kind of focus on the, the farm side of things as well, uh, we're in the the process of of reviewing um, our uh, primary producer standards, so. Our beef and lamb standard is the is the largest one. We've about uh, fifty three thousand farmers that are participating in that scheme. Uh, then followed by the dairy the dairy scheme, uh, which you know pretty much every dairy farmer in the country is is, is a member of that uh, now as well. But we also have the the standards and schemes in place for uh, pigs, poultry, eggs, and, and, and horticulture as well. Um, and there, there's commonality across these standards, even though they all operate as, as individual standards. So we're we're in a process at the moment of amalgamating all these standards into one standard. Um, 
And, and, and really, I suppose, it's about trying to build more um, efficiencies into how the schemes operate and how the schemes run, uh, both for Borbia as, as an organization, but also for, for scheme members as well. Um, you know, so you know, we've, we, we have situations where we're visiting the same farm to conduct a dairy audit and do a, a, a poultry audit or, or a pig audit. Um, you know, so it's about trying to ensure that we, we can uh, find a more efficient way of working. Um, and I suppose if we kind of think about what are the the, the the core values that we want to kind of keep at the heart of of, of the new standard, it's very much around the animal welfare, um, sustainability, and traceability, and and and, and uh, food food safety as well. So you know, it's not that we're making wholesale changes here in terms of what are going to be to be the requirements that we expect uh, to be implemented at farm level. There will be changes, but you know, a lot of uh, everything that's there already will 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 remain there. Um, so it's not going to mean that there's going to be any sort of change in terms of how the process looks or feels uh, at farm level when, when the order comes along at some stage in, in the future once we go through the process. So I suppose in terms of, 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 of uh, developing and revising that standard, you know, there's a there's a there's a whole process to that as well. Um, we have a, a draft standard that's been put together now at the moment. Um, and the next step is to develop uh, or to put in place a technical advisory committee. Uh, and these technical advisory committees or taxes, as we call them, um, they are uh, made up of uh, representatives from all the stakeholders. So the farm organisations, we have industry with technical input from Chagas and from ICBF and, and um, from, some, from some of the universities. There's input from um, Food Safety Authority, from uh, Department of Agriculture and so on. Um, and ultimately, it's it's the tax that will will go through um, the proposals for the new standard, and they're the ones that will agree and sign off on on the on the requirements that uh, eventually uh, become become the final standard. So we're we're hoping to kick off that process um, uh, next month. Now we're we're in the process of, of uh, uh, invites have gone out to the various different uh, stakeholder organisations to to look for nominees to to participate in in, in the tax. Uh, we'll hopefully get the, the first of those up and running uh, next month. And once we kind of get to the end of the process, we have a, a whole other piece of work that we need to do in terms of having the, the schemes accredited. So that's where we, we put them forward for review um, by the Irish National Accreditation Board. And they bring in their experts to, to review the standards and, and challenges in terms of what they think is good or bad um, about those standards. Um, but we're... we're we're working, I suppose this is the timeline that we're working to, hopefully um, by the middle of next year, we'll be in a place to be rolling out that new standard. Um, I suppose, look, benefits to doing this, I kind of talked about this, it's it's, it's really about trying to, trying to uh, build more efficiencies into in terms of how we operate um, as an organisation, um, but also build more efficiencies in from, from a farmer perspective. Um, and, you know, that we're, we're, we're changing this approach that we have to standard development, which has been kind of ad hoc up to now to to one where we're moving into a, a more structured cycle of review and update um every 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 four years as well. So uh, so the, the other thing that I just want to, to to talk about in terms of developments is is Agnav. Um and this is uh, probably the most significant development that we have at the moment and it is very much a, a partnership between uh Chagas, uh, Borbia and ICBF. 
Um, and really what this is about is kind of leveraging the, the, the resources of each individual organization um, to try and come up with uh, a, a solution um, for farmers um, that really kind of supports them uh, in, in their efforts to uh, implement sustainability uh, actions on their farm as well. So I suppose from a Chagas perspective, you know, the scientific expertise is there, the research is ongoing to develop the, the systems and develop the models that allows for a very accurate measurement of what's happening on individual farms. Um, and then if you add to this the, the, the advisory service that's that that's in place there, to, the ability to kind of um, you know work one-to-one with farmers in terms of, of assessing the situation uh, and developing a plan um, that's going to have a positive impact from uh, an environmental perspective. Uh, with ICBF, um, you know, there's a, a fantastic IT infrastructure there uh, and very well resourced in that regard as well. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, really good databases with lots of really uh, powerful uh, information in there that's all relevant for, for uh, understanding, I suppose, where, where a farm currently stands. Um, and then from a Borbia perspective, I suppose, look, we've, we, we have a, an infrastructure there that's been uh, tried and tested for over 20 years now with the QA side of things. Um, we have a, 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 a survey piece to the audit that most farmers would be familiar with where we're, we're capturing that information in relation to sustainability. And it's looking at how we can kind of uh, feed all that into the, the whole process of developing really accurate carbon footprints uh, for farmers as well. So I suppose it's, it'll be an, an online platform. Um, we'll have kind of three elements to it. Um, and I suppose we're kind of looking at this cycle of um, uh, ass, assess, analyze, and, and, and act. So the assessment piece is, is not going to be something new. It's the assessment that's there as part of, of the QA schemes. And farmers are, are very familiar with that already. And that's gathering the information in relation to what's happening at farm level. Um, we've a new forecaster tool then that allows um, uh, farmers and advisors to kind of play around with, with different things in relation to maybe fertilizer or slurry management at farm level and see what impact that has. And then the final piece is, is the action. So once you kind of identify what's appropriate for the farm, um, create an action list or a sustainability plan or task list uh, for the farm as well. So just, to, I suppose, uh, uh, won't kind of dwell too much on these, but you know, just to kind of give a, a, a bit of a, a line of sight on them. The assessment piece, as I said, this is 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 what um, farmers would be familiar with in terms of the the Borby order. So it's the information in relation to housing and turnout, manure management, fertilizer feed, all of that as well. Um, that's as well the, the the data collection piece or the, the the assessment piece as we're calling it. And then the analyze piece. So this is the tool where you know again, if farmers want to look at the use of nitrogen fertilizer on the farm and kind of see right, well, if I was to reduce the amount of nitrogen fertilizer that I use, or if I was to make changes from using uh, a can-based fertilizer to uh, protected urea, well, what sort of impact will that have in terms of the the carbon footprint and the greenhouse gas emissions um, and ammonia emission emissions for the farm as well? And I suppose in terms of the, the follow on from that, so you engage with the tool and you kind of identify what's what's possible or what's reasonable or what's feasible for your own individual farm, move on to developing that kind of action list then as well. Um, and there is a tool there now for that as well that farmers will be able to access and kind of uh, look at the list of actions that they want to implement, uh, select them, and kind of put it into and put it into an action list or or, or, or a plan. Um, and I suppose it becomes a focal point for for future engagement between themselves and the advisor, or it's there as a guide or a reference for themselves to to use um, as they go about imp- implementing the plan. So, 
we're still early days on this. Um, there's a, a, a huge amount of time and resource been, been put towards the development of this uh, in the early stages. It's been rolled out with uh, farmers who have signed up to the Chagas Climate Advisory Service. Um, and that that's uh, uh, there's training, I suppose, that's ongoing at the moment with the, the advisors for that service as well, um, with a view to starting to, to roll this out over, over the next, next number of months. Um, just a, a couple of slides in terms of, of, of engagement. Um, I suppose we've, engagement from a Borbia perspective works in, in a couple of different ways. We look at engagement with farmers. Well, um, direct engagement is the most true. Um, you know, uh, the, the newsletter that goes out three times a year, um, a text message that we send out to the membership bases uh, and so on. Um, and then I suppose look, there's engagement online um, as well in terms of some of the social media side of things as well. Uh, we have partnerships then with the agri-media as well. And if anyone has seen uh, the farmer's journal from yesterday, you can see there's a there's two-page two spread in terms of, of, of um, uh, that's put together by the manager of the, the China office. Um, um, and just trying to explain us was that the situation in the China market, where the opportunities are, how we're operating over there, um, and what's happening uh, in that market and how it kind of translates to, to, to potential opportunities for for, for um uh, Irish food and drink over there as well. Um, we also, you know, work with the likes of Chagas and uh, some of the processors in in uh, delivery of of, of uh, farm walks and on farm events uh, throughout the year as well. Um, and I suppose this slide just kind of gives an idea. It's just a few images that were kind of pulled from whether it's the social media or whether it's the 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 the. The Agri Press, um, but just again, you know, uh, I suppose you'll, you'll be familiar with seeing this uh, um, from from uh, your your involvement or engagement with the, the different uh, media forums. Um, uh, and then finally, I suppose the, the other piece of engagement is the market engagement of what we do out there. And I suppose we just a couple of images that are, are, are taken here from some of the trade shows that we uh, uh, participate in uh, every year. So every year, Borbia would uh, um, participate in anywhere between kind of 25 and 30 trade shows um, around the world. And typically what happens is we, we buy a space and then, you know, we we bring all the companies that uh, are relevant, uh, I, I suppose, along with us. They get the opportunity to kind of take up some of that space on the stand there as well and do their own promotions and engagements with customers uh, in the market there as well. So, you know, a lot of these shows will have a particular focus. There may be a dairy focus, there may be a seafood focus, there may be an alcohol focus or a beef focus. Um, and again, we try and, and ensure that we get an even spread um, uh, uh, in terms of, of the sectors that are represented and, and also in terms of the markets uh, uh, that we um, are engaging in as well. So, um, I think I've probably got a little bit over time, uh, Pat, and uh, uh, apologies about that. Um, but uh, and I know I was kind of flying through a lot of those slides as well. But um, uh, no, no, you're per per perfectly on perfectly on time. There's no problem there at all. Uh, thanks for that. That's uh, fairly comprehensive. And uh, I'm just looking at the questions. Remind you to to put your 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 uh, questions through. You might just stop sharing there. Uh, remind people to to use the Q and A to to send through their questions. I see one coming through, which kind of gets to the nub of the problem pretty pretty rapidly. And I'll I'll give you that one first. Uh, can you provide more detail on how you verify a certain standard has been met? How do you ensure claims made by the farmer, for instance, is correct? Uh, this is going to be a particularly important in relation to carbon farming, for instance. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, I suppose the, the schemes and standards that we operate, they're all accredited schemes and standards. So, you know, I talked about that process in terms of the standard development, but actually a very challenging part of the process is actually going through the accreditation of the scheme. So BORBIA is an accredited certification body as well. So we're subject to our audits every year from uh, National Standards Authority of Ireland, from the Irish National uh, Accreditation Board, from uh, the USDA in the States, from Global Gap, um, and so on. So, you know, as a, an accredited certification body, we've, we've a huge amount of work that we need to do in terms of maintaining a, a quality management system and ensuring that we can hold on to the, the uh, uh, accredited status of, of the individual schemes. So, as well, that means that when it comes to how we're rolling them out at farm level, there's always a focus on that. So those assessments and audits that we go through, they come and they look at how we do those assessments on farm. They do witness audits with auditors as well. Um, and as well, in terms of the data that's collected, you know, OK, so we might not ask a farmer to keep a record of the date, a written record of the date that turned out the cows or the date to house the cows. But, you know, we have very experienced auditors on the ground and 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 if an auditor is on the ground and they ask that farmer, when did you turn the cows out this year? And the farmer gives a date and he says, it's well, I turned them out on the 10th of January and the, the auditor is standing uh, on a farm, you know, in somewhere with really heavy, wet, boggy land, you know, where they know that this is not normal for this part of the country. Um, they can, they will obviously challenge that, um, you know, so... It's, it's not about ensuring that there's a record in place for absolutely everything that we collect in relation to the farm activity, but it's about verifying that what is being provided uh, makes sense as well. Um, as time moves on then as well, it's about trying to get access to, to more and more information in central databases. So, so if we look at the animal inventories that are used in terms of the, the carbon footprint models, we don't ask farmers any of that because we have a, um, a, a brilliant database there in terms of the, the animal identification and movement system that is hugely accurate. Um, so we just tap straight into that um, and we use that information. And as time moves on and things like a fertilizer register, um, you know, come into play, there's opportunities there then to kind of remove the burden, I suppose, in terms of the ask at farm level to get that information more centrally. And the, the more we can do that, the more robust um, it can be and the more we'll be able to kind of stand over, I suppose, the, the, the validity of, of, of that data. Yeah, and as you say, with breeding data as well, we we will have in the next couple of years a huge proportion of the data that's required coming from those very accurate uh, central databases. So it should provide really, really accurate figures. Andy, a good few questions coming in there. Yeah, there's a good few questions. Um, loads of compliments, Mick, and an excellent presentation. Um, I'll try and maybe pull some of them together or uh get through as many of them as we can the, the first one really is about food security uh, what do you think of ireland's food security in the face of climate change and from a sustainability perspective do we need to incentivize the shift from livestock to crop production now, i know horticulture forms part of your brief as well Mick. maybe not your brief personally now but <laughs> yeah but look it's, it's a very good question and you know if we if we if we take the big sectors of dairy and beef 
you know, the vast majority of what we produce is going for export. Um, if we look at the horticulture sector, um, we don't export, you know, with the exception of mushrooms, which, you know, 90, over 95% of the mushrooms produced here go, go, go for export. There's, we don't export on the horticulture side. In fact, we've, we've quite a, a lot of imports com, com, coming in uh, on the horticulture side. Um, and... Uh, I suppose look, we haven't been exposed to to the the worst effects of supply chain challenges in that regard because I suppose we still have we still have a significant amount of horticulture being produced in the country. But if we look at and we've seen the pictures of of bare shelves in the UK, which is not that far away because of dependence on 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 product coming in from places in, in southern Europe, where where you know production challenges, be it drought or whatever it was, meant that the that the, the crops weren't there and the projects wasn't there. Uh, uh, you know, from our perspective, we try and support the industry as best we can. Uh, and I suppose there is a challenge there uh, because pressure that comes on the horticulture sector, particular from retail side of things. Um, and I think what we've seen over the last kind of 12 months in particular is a little bit of a realisation among some of the retailers that they've gone too far. Uh, and that they've kind of squeezed and squeezed and squeezed too much on the horticulture sector. And we're starting to see uh, some of those retailers kind of coming back now and, and starting to have more positive conversations around uh, in terms of what they can do to support the agriculture sector. So so they've kind of woken up and they've seen the risk. They've seen what's happening because we have had a, a number of, 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 of growers and producers um, leave the sector uh, over the last 12, 12 to 24, 24 months. So there's been a real bit of a wake-up call there, I think, for 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 the the the, the customer there in that. Um, and you know, I think if if we can kind of capitalize on that and we can build on that, well, then hopefully the question of security starts starts to go away. Mm. Um, does any Northern Irish produce feed into the chains of, of produce by some of the companies making? Thereby, would they be expected to meet the same standards, or um, and has there been any implication because of Brexit? Yeah, so we, um, oh, anything, anything that carries the 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 Borbia fuel mark that people would be familiar with means that um, you know uh, it, it's 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 born, reared, uh, and processed in Ireland, or grown uh, and, and pro- processed in Ireland. Now, there are situations where uh, there's different variations of the logo that w- w- would mean that uh, um, uh, something may be processed in Northern Ireland. So some of our processors have operations in Northern Ireland and we'll see them maybe uh, have animals uh, 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 born, reared here, but maybe, uh, and slaughtered here, but maybe processed in Northern Ireland. But there's different variations of the logo. Uh, and as part of the, the audits and checks that we do at processor level, a big part of that is ensuring that where logos are applied, that it's the correct logos um, that are being used if if they can be used at all. But but in reality, we don't see much of them being used at all. Uh, and the uh, most people kind of stick with the 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 Origin Ireland logo and the really kind of really kind of just uh, I, I suppose use the the power and the value that's been built into that um, uh, over over a good number of years now. Uh, in terms of the the calling out the QA uh, message uh, on on their projects, hedgerows, Mick. Do you collect data on hedgerows um, on your farm um, assessments? And you know, is there any um, the management of those hedgerows or even the removal of those hedgerows? Are they picked up anywhere along the line that would you know either give a, a farmer a, 
a good sustainability score or a bad sustainability score? Yeah, we what what we collect, I suppose, is is um, I suppose a net change in terms of addition or or, or, or removal of of, of hedgerows and the, you know, the the models that exist at the moment, you know, don't uh, account for removals, um, uh, uh, removals of carbon, and and uh, really, I suppose, you know, we're we're not at a place yet in terms of the science and the research to be able to do that accurately. Um, sequestration is not uh, recognised within the models that we used uh, because it's not recognised internationally, I suppose, uh, uh, in in terms of the the, the models that are recognised internationally, but. Uh, as time moves on and as the research moves on, you know, it will give us the opportunity to take that into account. Um, and the, the work as well that's been done by Chagas through um, the National Soil Carbon Observatory um, is really kind of key to that and will feed into that. We do very much hope to, that to be in a position uh, in a few years' time where we'll be able to account for uh, removals uh, that's happening on farm as well. No, I think you know. And Pat might want to comment on this, but you know, when it comes to hedgerows, you know, the the the, the potential of hedgerows, you know, is maybe not as great uh, as the potential of you know forestry or the potential of land itself. Um, in 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 some cases as well. Um, so while it is an important piece, um, you know, in 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 the overall grand scheme of things, it it may not contribute a huge amount of what we might expect it to 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 do. Yeah, and I suppose one the, the context of the question was also in 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 uh, relation to uh, the uh, contribution of hedgerows to to biodiversity, and I suppose we're seeing a lot of development in uh, uh, I suppose baseline requirement in relation to the management of hedgerows, allowing them to to grow uh, uh, to a, a much higher and and, and broader uh, uh, hedgerows but also looking at uh, potential for minimum requirements for space for nature on, on farms. So there is movements in, 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 in those directions as well, which is, I suppose, par- working parallel to some of the work that you would be doing, Mick. Yeah. Pretty uh, question straight to the point, Mick. Will a farmer's greenhouse gas score on AGNAB determine whether a farmer will be deemed quality assured or will all the practices be eligible be quality assured um, regardless of his carbon footprint? So, so, so will the GHG score and have determine your yeah, status? Whether you can, no, no, yeah. no. And we can be categorical on that. Um, you know, look, the, the quality assured mm-hmm. standard is there. You know, the 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 conformance with that is going to be based on the requirements within the standard, not on whether you have a higher or a low carbon footprint or GHG emission total figure. Um, like when we're talking about AGNAV, you know, the vision for AGNAV is that it, it reaches beyond QA membership. You know, you know, it's not something that we're saying is exclusively for farmers that are in the scheme, throughout the scheme. We're not saying it's exclusively for something for farmers that are Chagas clients or not Chagas clients. So, you know, you know, we want AGNAV to be something that's open and available to all farmers, regardless of whether they have any sort of engagement with Borbia, with Chagas, with ICBF. Um, I suppose the stage we're at now with the minute, Andy, is still very early on. Yeah. We have three organisations as the partner organisation. So I suppose we're working with what we have in terms of the 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 linkages with our, our own membership base, be that, you know, QA scheme members or Chagas clients or ICBF clients as well. But but certainly as time moves on, we want it to be there for everyone. 
um, and your your use or non-use of it will have no impact in in terms of your quality sure. Yeah, because I know I have, I was often even asked myself, you know, if my carbon footprint is X and is there going to be a minimum standard in order for me to qualify because my carbon footprint isn't as good as my neighbours or as good as the national average or whatever, there's no real, it's really no. a, an exercise to pull everyone up really at the minute. Yeah, and look, we can, look, you know, we're, we're not in a position to say what's a good or bad footprint for your farm. You know, we could say this is the footprint for your farm, this is how it compares to similar type farms, but we don't know the exact conditions that are influencing the figures on your farm, you know. So we can't say that, you know, because your carbon footprint is 10% higher than, than the average, that that's a bad footprint for your farm. That could be a very good footprint for your farm because you're working under extremely difficult conditions or whatever it might be, you know. So so I can't ever see us, Andy, going to a stage where we're saying you have to have um, uh, X of a carbon footprint in order to be quality sure. It just don't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be feasible. It wouldn't be. Wouldn't be fair. I suppose. Having said that, uh, Mick, one of the things that kind of goes with the the uh, the origin green is the whole establishment of sustainability uh, standards at purchaser level and and potentially sustainability bonuses where farmers are potentially rewarded for implementing. Uh, uh, technologies and practices that are leading to to uh, uh, higher level or lower levels of emissions and lower levels of, of losses. So it, like, it's not as if the, the issue is being ignored by the commercial part either. There, there is a lot of work uh, uh, beginning to happen in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen a few a few fairly solid examples there now of, of, of different processors leading out with their sustainability bonuses and the bonuses are dependent on on, on different things being implemented at, at farm level as well. And I, I know that's really positive to see, but it, I think the, the important thing there is that we're able, to, we're able to track that and we're able to see what's happening because that forms part of the bigger story as well. And I'm not just talking about from a Borbia perspective in terms of what we might want to say in a in a campaign in the marketplace, the other side of the world, but you know, and, you know, for for the sector in general, to be able to kind of aggregate all that information, and say, well, we have not or X number of farms are implementing this on farm or doing that on farm, and it's about building that story of of of, of positive participation, positive engagement, positive adoption of, of of things that are going to make a difference. A question here, uh, Mick, about you know, you you mentioned it with your you know, you've been doing it for 10 years and not too many other countries are doing it. But it says, how far ahead are we of other countries, you know, both within the EU and, and elsewhere in Ireland's sustainability accreditation and audit program? And are any other countries auditing or providing food sustainability to the same extent? I, mean, I can think of the, the red tractor in the UK or so, you know, is there... Um, yeah, uh, like, uh, uh, I, I, again, like I'd say, like to give a very simple answer, I'd say no, there's no, no one doing it. Now, now, that's not to say there aren't people out there that are doing good stuff and have really good schemes and really good initiatives. But, but if we look at it in terms of the coverage that we have uh, and the fact that it's a national program, um, you know, if you go to other countries, you might see multiple programs. Uh, and no linkages between them and looking at different things and measuring different things and assessing different things. The beauty, I suppose, of what we have here is that everyone is kind of aligned behind the one approach. Um, uh, and, and it's something that, you know, we see time and time again when we have, you know, be it inward buyer visits or inward journal visits, journalists, journalist visits, which is all part of the work that we, we do from that, that kind of promotions uh, piece as well. 
it's always something that kind of really, really impresses them. The fact that there's uh, such a collaborative approach between the different stakeholders in the industry here, the fact that, you know, the likes of Borbia and Chagas and ICBF can pool the resources, you know, to, to work together to deliver something uh, that, that's really powerful and really valuable. And, and, and it's really, they're amazed by, I suppose, the quantity and the quality of information and data that we have that's been generated through the QA schemes that's been, that exists on ICBF database that, that's there uh, in, in Chagas and how it all kind of links back into that scientific research, uh, that knowledge, that expertise, and how it kind of gets rolled out through knowledge transfer uh, and all that as well. So that's always something that really oppresses um you know, we, we have, I would say we we have much better structures um, than anybody else. We have the infrastructure that's the envy of an awful lot of people. But as I said, there is other individual initiatives out there. Some of them are private that are very, very good. And, you know, uh, people can tell a really good and really positive story story about them. Um, and sometimes, you know, from, from our perspective, we we're we kind of hold ourselves back, I feel, because we want to be sure that what we're saying can be backed up um, by by facts and figures as well. But um, yeah, I, I would still say, Andy, we're... we're, yeah. we're One we're very stuck. important comment or question, and, um, and I've spoken to you about this before, it says, uh, to what extent do Irish food sustainability credentials deliver a price benefit for Irish farmers? Uh, is the price benefit absorbed by processors, exporters? For example, you know, the recent challenging lamb prices by the sustainability of Irish lamb, you know, or you could say this make the same question about beef. And that is a question that yeah. I know I've heard you answer and try and answer on a, a few occasions. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, uh, look. I suppose there, there, there's a few things to look at, you know, when when we're so export reliant, you're always at the mercy of market forces anyway. Uh, and that's one thing. And And... And I, I suppose we kind of go back and we say, right, well, you know, prior to any QA schemes or anything like that, where were we? Where were we competing? What were we doing? You know, and we, we weren't doing very well. We weren't competing very strongly. We didn't have any kind of really strong customers um, uh, uh, and things like that. Uh, and over time, you know, that started to change. And we put the systems in place and, you know, we were able to kind of then go to the market, go to the customers and show them what we had here. And, and, you know, over time, it became the norm that, you know, quality assurance, food safety, traceability, that was all there. Now, that's simply evolved, Andy, you know. So, you know, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've said it to you before that, you know, customers kind of take take it for granted that you have the product safety, that you have have the traceability. Shouldn't take it for granted, but they do. They, they, they assume that, you know, the, that it's all there. They know the systems that we have now as well. And they're kind of looking at what, else needs to be delivered so if you go back to earlier in the presentation when i talked about commitments that these uh, companies are making um and those commitments are centered around sustainability and what they want to do is try and say right well well actually if these are the commitments i'm going to make and i'm dependent on my suppliers to help me make those commitments what suppliers should i be working with uh, so the opportunity or the return might never be seen in terms of a line on a milk check or a line on a factory statement or anything like that. But actually, the return is that, you know, these buyers internationally look at the suppliers from Ireland and look what they can offer them in terms of helping them deliver on their targets. Uh, And that makes Ireland a more attractive place for them to source from because they can rely on the information, they can rely on the data, and they know that it's even there in the first place, I suppose, Andy. So it's about 
the opportunity to kind of build those more long term strategic relationships between the 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 the, the uh, companies here and the and the buyers internationally that you know gives gives that level of level of security that you're not kind of at the whims of of market forces to the same extent or you're not kind of reliant on you know maybe one off transactional deals that there isn't very little value in and if you can get to a place where you're you're you have that more long term strategic relationship in place where it opens up opportunities to have more conversations about returns in relation to sustainability and the value of sustainability and how that starts to get recognized um in their contracts and negotiations Couple of sorry. couple of quick sorry Andy. Uh, uh, well, I was, I was just something probably we should have asked earlier, and it's come in a couple of times. There's organic farming. Yeah, that's there's a number of organic farmers having doubled from two thousand to four thousand over the past six months. Are there any plans to increase the marketing of Irish organic produce, and are there plans to differentiate organic from origin green? Yeah, so there's um, so we've recently appointed a, a new sector manager for for organics in Borbia and at Doyle. Um, and Emmett is in the process of of, of putting together um, uh, an organic uh, uh, strategy as well. So there's um, uh, increasingly, I suppose, there's more and more of a focus on organics from uh, a promotional perspective. Um, you know, so we have some of the, the research and the insight work done in the marketplace to try and identify where where the opportunities might be in that regard. And then it's up to, I suppose, Emmett to lead the charge on that in terms of of developing the the plan and the strategy and working with the international offices um and the staff in the international offices to 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 roll out the the, the campaigns um to roll out the campaigns there in in, in the markets as well where where the best best uh, uh, opportunities are um the you know i suppose in in terms of the promotions uh like we wouldn't be differentiating it from origin green like origin green doesn't differentiate between systems like organic is a system um you know it's it, so you know we will call out that it's organic but you know it, it's organic uh, under an origin green umbrella as well in the same way as the the other promotions this was that we're doing is done under the origin green umbrella uh, promotions we do on organic will be done under the origin green umbrella as well one final question, Mick. Just in 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 the new uh, sustainability uh, uh, and quality assurance uh, standards, uh, it's I, I suppose one of the the issues that has come up uh, over the last number of years has been animal welfare. To what degree are you taking on board animal welfare issues in uh, in the new tax or or increasing it in its importance? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really good question, and it's a, it's a really topical area. And and I mentioned earlier on about sustainability and talking about sustainability in its broadest context. Well, animal welfare always comes in there. Uh, and again, when we do our market research, particularly in European markets, animal welfare is really really high on the agenda. Uh, and we have particular challenges in markets like Germany and the Netherlands, you, you know, where there's huge pressure from uh, welfare lobby groups and NGOs and so on as well. Uh, and but not just them. It's it's the the average general consumer that is very conscious of, very conscious of it. Um, so you know, there's it, it, from our perspective when it comes to the standard, we, there's areas that we need to strengthen the standard, uh, particularly around things like like pain management and the use of uh, anaesthetic analgesic for any sort of painful procedure uh, um, as well. 
um, you know, we have a, a need to kind of look at, at how we call out, you know, space allowances for animals when they're in sheds and things like that as well. Um, but I suppose another thing that we've been looking at is looking at uh, indicator assessments, so animal-based measures. Um, and we've done some pilot work on this. We've 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 tested out an assessment, uh, an indicator assessment on about 120 or 30 farms, um, where an assessor goes out and they kind of look at look at the animals, I suppose, in terms of right, looking at body condition, you know, looking at core condition, looking at incidences of lameness, looking at discharge from the nose or the eyes, you know, so animal-based indicators that help to kind of uh, build a picture in terms of the, the welfare profile of, of, of animals on that farm. And from that pilot that we we did, you know, we we found that there was really positive engagement from farmers on this. I think farmers, the feedback we got from farmers was, you know, well, this is great. You know, you're, you're spending more time looking at the animals. And I think anyone that knows Irish farmers knows that, you know, uh, it, it's about the welfare of the animals and how to mind the animals. And that's the most important thing to them. So I think they really appreciated seeing that focus being put on actual looking at the state and the condition of the animals and, and how they are. So we think there's a real opportunity to work um, this sort of assessment into into the, the future audits. Um, and I suppose in doing the pilots, it allowed us to learn, right, well, how easy is this to do? How long is it going to take? You know, uh, I, I suppose we've got good answers to all of those. We can do these assessments relatively quickly. The indicators are relatively easy to, to assess. Um, but what it actually gives us is really, really useful and powerful information to be able to talk about high welfare standards um, in the marketplace today. So, so moving from this kind of um, in, input kind of thing in terms of whether mm-hmm. is there good ventilation in the sheds and that sort of thing to actually, well, output measures that kind of say, you know, well, there's no doubt, but, you know, all the indicators, all the signs, the visual signs that we're looking for in these animals tell us that these animals uh, are really well cared for and that welfare uh, on on these farms is at an absolute optimum. Okay, listen, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, We could go on for another while uh, and uh, plenty more questions there. Uh, listen, thank you very much, Mick, for 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 that. It's it's I suppose provides a, a a huge amount of information on the work that you're doing and on the importance of of the work for the industry in general. So so thanks for that. Thank uh, next week we're being joined by Stephen Connolly, and it's kind of almost a follow on. He's the Ag Sustainability Manager uh, with ABP, and he'll be looking at ABP Agri Sustainability Journey and 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 commitments. So that's the uh, next Friday morning at the at the same time. Uh, I'd like to also thank uh, our production team of Andy Boland and Yvonne Marr. And until next week, have a nice weekend and, and a good week. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.